Section 86 of India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World Story, Volume 2. India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine, edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 86. The Chaldeans and Their Ways. By Diodorus the Sicilian. The northern part of Mesopotamia, or the country lying between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, was ancient Assyria. The southern part was Chaldea, or Babylonia. The supreme power in the valley was first held by the Chaldeans, then by the Assyrians, then by the Babylonians. The Editor Here it will not be amiss to say something of the Chaldeans, as the Babylonians call them, and of their antiquity that nothing worth the remark may be omitted. They being the most ancient Babylonians hold the same station and dignity in the commonwealth as the Egyptian priests do in Egypt. For being deputed to divine offices, they spend all their time in the study of philosophy and are especially famous for the art of astrology. They are mightily given to divination and foretell future events and employ themselves either by purification, sacrifices or other enchantments to avert evils, or procure good fortune and success. They are skillful likewise in the art of divination by the flying of birds, and interpreting of dreams and prodigies, and are reputed as true oracles, in declaring what will come to pass, by their exact and diligent viewing the entrails of the sacrifices. But they attain not to this knowledge in the same manner as the Grecians do, for the Chaldeans learn it by tradition from their ancestors, the son from the father, who are all in the meantime free from all other public offices and attendances, and because their parents are their tutors, they both learn everything without envy and rely with more confidence upon the truth of what is taught them. And being trained up in this learning from their very childhood, they become most famous philosophers, that age being most capable of learning wherein they spend much of their time. They hold that the world is eternal, which had neither any certain beginning nor shall have any end, but all agree that all things are ordered and this beautiful fabric is supported by a divine providence and that the motions of the heavens are not performed by chance and of their own accord, but by a certain and determinate will and appointment of the gods. Therefore, from a long observation of the stars and an exact knowledge of the motions and influences of every one of them, wherein they excel all others, they foretell many things that are to come to pass. They say that the five stars which some call planets, but which they call interpreters, are most worthy of consideration, both for their motions and their remarkable influences, especially that which the Grecians call Saturn. The brightest of them all, and which often portends many and great events, they call Saul. The other four they name Mars, Venus, Mercury, and Jupiter, with our own country astrologers. They give the name of interpreters to these stars, because these only, by a peculiar motion, portend things to come and instead of interpreters do declare to men beforehand the good will of the gods. Whereas the other stars, not being of the number of the planets, have a constant ordinary motion. Future events, they say, are pointed at sometimes by their rising and sometimes by their setting, and at other times by their color as may be experienced by those that will diligently observe it. Sometimes foreshowing hurricanes, at other times tempestuous rains, and then again exceeding droughts. By these, they say, are often portended the appearance of comets, eclipses of the sun and moon, earthquakes, and all the other various changes and remarkable effects in the air. 
boding good and bad not only to nations in general, but to kings and private persons in particular. Under the course of these planets, they say, are thirty stars, which they call counseling gods, half of whom observe what is done under the earth, and what is transacted in the heavens. Once every ten days' space, they say, one of the highest order of these stars descends to them that are of the lowest, like a messenger sent from them above. And then again another ascends from those below to them above, and that this is their constant natural motion to continue forever. The chief of these gods, they say, are twelve in number, to each of which they attribute a month and one sign of the twelve in the zodiac. Through these twelve signs, the sun, moon, and the other five planets run their course, the sun in a year's time, and the moon in the space of a month. To every one of the planets they assign their own proper courses, where are performed variously in lesser or shorter time, according as their several motions are quicker or slower. These stars, they say, have a great influence both as to good and bad in men's nativities, and from the consideration of their several natures may be foreknown what will befall men afterwards. As they foretold things to come to other kings formerly, so they did to Alexander, who conquered Darius, and to his successors Antigonus and Seleucus Nicanor, and accordingly things fell out as they declared. They tell likewise private men their fortunes, so certainly that those who have found the thing true by experience have esteemed it a miracle and above the reach of man to perform. Out of the circle of the zodiac they describe four and twenty stars, twelve toward the north pole and as many toward the south. Those which we see they assign to the living, and the others that do not appear they conceive are constellations for the dead, and they term them judges of all things. The moon, they say, is in the lowest orb, and being therefore next to the earth, because she is so small, she finishes her course in a little time, not through the swiftness of her motion, but the shortness of her sphere. In that which they affirm that she has but a borrowed light, and that when she is eclipsed it is caused by the interposition of the shadow of the earth, they agree with the Grecians. Their rules and notions concerning the eclipses of the sun are but weak and mean, which they dare not positively foretell nor fix a certain time for them. They have likewise opinions concerning the earth peculiar to themselves, affirming it to resemble a boat and to be hollow, to prove which, and other things relating to the frame of the world, they abound in arguments, but to give a particular account of them we conceive would be a thing foreign to our history. But this any man may justly and truly say, that the Chaldeans far exceed all other men in the knowledge of astrology, and have studied it most of any art or science. But the number of years during which the Chaldeans say those of their profession have given themselves to the study of this natural philosophy is incredible, for when Alexander was in Asia they reckoned up four hundred and seventy thousand years since they first began to observe the motions of the stars. But lest we should make too long a digression from our intended design, let this which we have said concerning the Chaldeans suffice. End of section 86. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Philip Gould.